We are back, baby. AFC South champions. We are back. Doesn't matter, Brian. Classic. We are back. That's we right. are back. This is just the beginning. This is the first goal. This is just the beginning. Stroud, wide open for the touchdown is the fullback, Andrew Beck. Carried by Singletary for the touchdown. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present the Killer Bees. 55% Ooh, what up, face down? Hey, how we doing? He's blank on Brandon. It's Brian McDonald behind the glass. A Monday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. What happened there? What went wrong? He potted me up. Or I thought that was the introduction. but I thought that was the introduction, too. I don't know. Look at us. Texans outperforming us. Yeah, no that's doubt. for sure. Texans doing a better job than what uh, whatever we're doing. But the Houston Texans winning a football game on Saturday. How about that? They go into Indy. Must-win game. I kind of reserved my expectations a little bit. It's like, hey, they win this game. Awesome. Like, it's all house's money from here on out. I even kind of had, like, I was tempering my expectations. If they lose the game, well, they've had a great first year under D'Amico. Like, you go 9-8 and eight from where you came from, the, the year that C.J. Stroud had. Like, you are still bullish on the future. You're still super excited about the future. But you jump out to a 14-3 lead. I didn't love that they gave up that last field goal. But 14-6 at the half. The Colts storm back only for you to kind of take and absorb that punch. You punch back. You come away with a victory on the road in a must-win game. And we learn that C.J. Stroud really is that big game player that you're hoping he would be. He really is. I mean, he's checked all the boxes. He checked another one there with that game. That's a stadium that they haven't had a lot of luck with, with a team that they haven't had a lot of success against. And he just threw it threw it all on the wayside and said, that was then, this is now, and let me show you how to get victories. And he guided his team. He didn't make mistakes. He made the big plays. Right off the jump, they sent the message and, and responded after the field goal drive. And you were like, okay, this is different, man. It just felt different. It felt like that they were, they were in control, and you felt a lot more confident from the coaching staff to the players. And it's really hard to believe that it's a first-year head coach, a rookie quarterback, and that they just seem like they have more poise and are in more and in more control of the situation than in a lot of times you've seen Texans teams in the past. Did you see that accolade, I guess, where it was, it, this is the first rookie quarterback and the first he, first year head coach to make the playoffs I in NFL not. history? Like, I'm, I'm wondering if that is accurate because I can't remember where I saw it. But that's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, for the first time in history, like in the history of the NFL, the first time that it has ever happened where you've had a rookie head coach and a first year, or, you know, a rookie quarterback go to the playoffs. Like, that that's unheard of. It's never been done before. Yet, here we are in Houston, and it's been accomplished by D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stratton. It also kind of points to that, well, I told you so. Well, it's the first time in NFL history. Congratulations, you got that one right. But it's, a, it's an unbelievable story. I was doing a, uh, a podcast yesterday with, with a, couple of, a couple of guys, and it's crazy. Like, I, I, I don't believe it. Like, I really don't believe this year. Like, what you've had to endure as Texans fans, what you've had to endure doing Houston sports talk, uh, every day since 2019. Like, it is hard to believe that a first-year head coach, a rookie quarterback, win 10 games, your AFC South champions, you got a little help from your old buddies, Amy Adams, and you've won the division. Like, it feels surreal right now. It really does. And, and, and I don't think in a lot of ways, because we are so connected to it and dialed into it and play-by-play and play every single day, you know, kind of entrench, entrenched in what they've done, to take the step back and say, this might be the greatest rookie season for a quarterback that the league has ever seen. When you talk about the accomplishments, he's not done yet, but the things that he continues to do and what what magnitude it's had on the entire franchise and how two guys have almost individually, single-handedly done their job enough to turn the entire franchise around in this short of a period of time and now have so many people so optimistic and excited about this team again. It's amazing what he's been able to do. The throws that he's continually able to make. The throw off the back foot that looked like he was throwing it away that ended up with the big completion to Nico was just next level. That's the kind of stuff when we start talking about tiers and comparisons. Tell me how many other guys in the league, how many other guys in the league are going to make that kind of throw with that poise? Not many. No, it's a it's a short list like Lamar, Josh, Josh Allen. Uh, I think Mahomes can I think do Mahomes it. could do it. But a couple of those guys too, I think, are capable of doing it. But they're also going to throw three interceptions in one game. So it's like C.J. Stroud couples that, like the dynamic, the highlight, real play, the unthinkable 
while also taking care of the football, making the right reads, throwing checkdowns. Like, he's a rookie, and he's got a long way to go, but it, it, there's the feeling that he is that complete package. Because he can make the highlight play, but he can also be Brock Purdy and be super careful and not turn the football over. Yeah, he just knows how to take care of the football, which is so rare in a young guy that's normally a gunslinger when they come into the league, or they just don't know what they don't know, and they, they you know misread coverages or throw the ball where they don't think anybody is and then realize a linebacker was floating or something like that. But the other stat that I saw was like in the history of the game, rookies or not, the only quarterback, there was only three quarterbacks in the history of the league to lead them in yards, average yards per game and, and touchdown to interception ratio for a full season. And he, along with Joe Montana and one other, he did it this year as a rookie. Yeah, he's a... Uh... He's he's not as advertised because he, he's better than advertised. Uh, and again, it feels surreal. My biggest takeaway from this was more like because uh, Stroud was great. Like Stroud did the is he going to be big game Stroud in the NFL? And after one you know, winner in game, he has proven that he is. I called that little spin around pass, throw off the back foot, fade away the new dream shake because he's kind of spinning yeah. around there and throwing off the back foot like the fade away jumper. I don't know. I don't know if it really works, but maybe I like pulling a little bit of uh, a little bit of the old school nostalgic when it comes to history. It. Yeah, a little bit to the nostalgia of Houston because it kind of looked dream shaky to me. Uh, my biggest takeaway, though, was actually D'Amico. And to me, that game was a microcosm of what the entire year has been, where he has changed the culture of this organization. Uh, that, that was a culture win. Like, you look at what they had offensively. Damian Pierce didn't play a single snap in that football game. Or on offense, because he yeah. played some special teams. Mm-hmm. He didn't get one offensive snap the entire game, which is like, okay, you're without who you think would be your best running back when you started the year. Now, Devin Singletary was good. Now, we know the offensive line has been through all sorts of trouble all year long. It's been a patchwork offensive line really the entire season. You have not played what would be your optimal offensive line one time this year because your optimal offensive line has Titus Howard at right tackle. That never happened. The Houston Texans did not play their best offensive line a single game all year. Xavier Hutchinson and John Mechie played over 50% of the snaps and won a must-win game. That seems baffling to me. So patchwork offensively. Look what you had on the defensive side. Your best pass rusher and John Grenard or your sack leader and John Grenard did not play. Didn't play in that game. Will Anderson, who's a really good player, one of the better defensive ends in the NFL, he played less than 50% of the snaps in that game. Your defensive tackles were banged up. You're on like your fifth safety with DeAndre Houston Carson. Kareem Jackson, you picked up in waivers a couple of weeks ago, is playing like 30% of the snaps. Uh, Barnett, who was also a waiver wire pickup, is contributing and playing at a pretty high level. So you have a patchwork offensive line. You have a patchwork defense. It's a must-win game. It's on the road. Like Everything's working against you. And you win a tough, gutted out, grimy game. That's D'Amico Ryan. That's a culture win for the Houston Let's Texans. Let's go back. To keep going and take it a step further to a conversation you and I had going into the weekend. And that was, what's the key to stopping the Colts? What's the thing you got a key on to, to really kind of make sure you can control the Colts, uh, the Colts and you can be in charge of this game? Stop the running game. Stop Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> they weren't able to stop Jonathan Taylor. He was running absolutely wild. You only had 60 yards rushing for the game. And yet you seemed like you were in control the entire way. It was like, that was the amazing thing to me, too, on top of everything that you said, was the fact that, look, the key to stopping India is stop the run game. And they struggled all game long stopping the run game, yet you never felt like the game was out of reach or they weren't in control and, and right where they needed to be throughout the game. They weren't really good <laughs> at, at stopping the run in no. that gun. They, they, were, they were pretty poor. I mean, it's the first time all year they've given up over 220 yards. I, I, don't, I think it ended right around 220 yards. Their previous high was the Colts in week two, and they had like 128 yards in that game. Well, and every time Taylor stepped out and Moss stepped in, they didn't miss a beat. They were no. still pounding the rock, and they were getting five, six yards a chunk. And you're going, wow, how is this happening to a team that stops the run so well all season long? 227 is what it ended up at. Their previous high also to the Colts was 126. They gave up over 100 more yards on the ground than their previous high. Yet they found a way to win. I don't know if you guys remember this point in the game, but there was a point in the game where a Colts player went down. I believe it was late third quarter, fourth quarter, and they had an injury timeout. And up until that point, like you said, the Colts were running were wild, rolling. ripping off. At one point, they were averaging over nine yards a carry. And as soon as the Texans were able to group regroup after that injury timeout, 
everything changed. Suddenly, the runs that have been eight, nine yards were one and two, and they completely took control of the run game again. I'm not sure what happened in that coaching moment that D'Amico had uh, during the injury timeout, but it was amazing how quickly and how sharply everything turned for them in the run defense. Yeah, the, the booth, the national guys were even talking about it, too. Like, you, you couldn't have planned something like that because obviously injuries happen. But it happened at the absolute right time, and it seemed like that was a complete momentum buster for the Colts, who seemed to have finally gotten it rolling. And then, lo and behold, they come in and they, you know, put their foot down and they do what they need to do. And then they just basically show you who's boss, and they take control with the and, offense. And I again. think that paid dividends on the on the play that ends up being the incomplete pass that wins the Texans the game. Everyone mm-hmm. obviously criticizing the Colts for not having Jonathan Taylor on the field. I think that might have played the part in the decision-making for Shane Steichen. One, the play call would have worked if Minshew uh, put an accurate pass on the target. But I wonder if specifically not having Jonathan Taylor in the game and not running the ball was because Shane Steichen had seen the shift in that, well, they've adjusted and now they're stopping the run. Yeah, potentially. I also didn't think Taylor was as good once he came back from the injury. I thought he looked pretty slow. I thought he looked pretty choppy. They they were really, all of a sudden, suddenly the holes were closed and it seemed like they they bottled him up right at the the, uh, line of of initial contact for, for several carries. To Brian's point, Steichen said after the game, "I liked I liked the personnel they had on the field to set it up for the play. It was a it was the right play, the play call. There's worked. no doubt they about it. They would have scored it. a yeah. touchdown if, if if Minshew puts that pass out in front and set it behind. They score a touchdown. They, the Texans had two guys there where the Colts had one blocker. Uh, I don't know if they score on it. I don't think they score. I thought they I thought they the the formation though the Texans weren't really aligned to stop that sort of swing pass. I'll I bet you. I'll bet you a coke. Let's well. watch the replay. I'll bet you a coke on that. But it's it's okay, like, It doesn't matter. Like it would have easily gotten the first down. Yeah, I think Definitely they get the first down. Down. Easily Definitely been a big down. play. Like I saw Steichen getting criticized, and I was like, "Why? Like no, why?" Is, uh-uh. I saw JJ Watt criticizing him for not having Taylor on the field. Taylor was hurt. Like Taylor was banged up. He didn't look the same. He he didn't look explosive like he did before the injury. And it's there. Like if you're going to question play calling based on the result, you should not be questioning play calling. Like is it there or is it not there? If it's there, it's a good play call. If it's not there, it's a poor play call. And like Brian said, if it's a decent throw, no doubt, it's an easy first down. I also thought it could have been caught despite Even it then, being a bad throw. Steichen yeah, would have been the third the person. Steichen would have throw. been the third person that I blamed on that play. The first yep. person I'm blaming on that play is Minshew. Mm-hmm. The second person I'm playing or blaming on that game is the running back. The mm-hmm. third person is Steichen. But I'm not blaming Steichen because it was a great play call. It was call. a great was play there. call. And the one thing that I noticed was as bad of a throw as it was if you were expecting him to try and take it to the house, the fact of the matter is, even though it twisted and was on his back shoulder and he had to turn a little bit, you can still catch that, land on the seat of your pants, and get the first down. So it, it was rightful. it's rightful in, rightfully so that both guys should take blame for that play because both equally had blame in the play. But I'm not blaming Steichen at all because he had everybody fooled, and that play would have worked if you just had the right execution. Yeah, I'm with you on that. All right, busy show. We're going to be off a little bit early today at 5.30 because we're carrying the national championship game. So we're going to fit three hours of radio into two and a half. So action-packed, Texans-heavy, making the playoffs for the first time since 2019. We're going to have a Texan-centric uh, mailbag with the Killer Bees a little bit later on. We do have to hand out some game balls uh, from around the NFL as well. Who deserves some game balls after the uh, great performances over the weekend? 713-780-3776, the HRMP listener line. We're on the Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. He's at Pac-Man Joel on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy Branham. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Guys, another big game tonight. Jeremy just talked about it, the national championship game. We had a big weekend of football and so much more on the horizon. If you're having a watch party at your house or you just want the ultimate viewing experience, yeah, it's about the TV and the, co- the couch and, and the, the company, but it's also about what you offer to eat and what you have to consume, and I recommend some Daisy Dips because when I was growing up, my mom used to make that French onion dip from scratch, and she would work hard to make sure the mix was right, the soup mix was the right spices, the sour cream and the balance was all there. You don't have to worry about any of that anymore. Just get to your local grocer, and you can get Daisy Dips right there available for you, and they're just ready to go with your favorite chips. You can get French onion. You can get creamy ranch. You can use them with your vegetable platter if you're in those resolution stages still. If you just want to take your favorite chip or maybe some wings, you've got the ultimate dip experience waiting waiting for you just by grabbing out and getting it at your grocery store. You get there. They did all the work. You get all the pleasure. Just get to your grocery store and get either that ranch or get that French onion, and you are going to love those big games a little bit more because the eating is going to be as good as the games. So check them out today. Get to your grocery store and get some of those Daisy Dips. 
ESPN 97.5 on YouTube. Dog Show. Women bathing their dogs, you know, in uh, cut-off jeans and T-shirts and with the soap. And you know how it gets all wet and in the water. All teams covered. No stalking points necessary. You're back with the Killer Bees on 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. CJ Stroud in Los Texans. Están en los playoffs. I love that guy. Free tamales for everybody, I think. I don't know. It's hard for me to understand. Uh, CJ Stroud, did you see that uh, that interview? He was no. doing an interview. I think it was ESPN Deportes okay. after the game, which is always fascinating to me. Like, you're interviewing this English speaker. I don't know if there's a translator or not. And the guy had him cutting. I've never seen this type of cake before. It, was, it looked like a king cake to me. Mm-hmm. You know how when you cut up the king yeah. cake that you find the baby, and mm-hmm. if you find the baby, you have forever good luck the rest of the year? Well, apparently, if you cut the baby, there's like free tamales on a specific day. I don't, I'm don't. i not aware of the tradition. Maybe if that's a lack of cut the baby, meat. like cut into it when you find no, it? No, I don't mean cut the baby. I mean you cut the cake, then the baby's in the piece of cake. Oh, okay. Um but I don't know. Like, it seems like they're giving away free tamales, but I'm not sure if there's free tamales. But I would love the, if there is free tamales. But the, guy, the way the guy says his name is just so awesome. CJ Stroud in Los Texans. Están en los playoffs. I love that guy. I love that. Like, that, could, that guy could be my hype man forever. I hope we hear that a hundred times this week. CJ Stroud in Los Texans. There was a girl doing anchoring the morning weekend show on 13 that called him CJ Stroud. Like, if there's, there's very few names in this city that are. Less, that get those kind of hype that he's gotten over the season in the last couple of weeks. I don't know how you mispronounce that one. And you don't have a producer that goes, uh, maybe not. Roska cake is what it's called. And it's a three Kings cake. So I'm sure it's very similar to the, the King cake. I wasn't familiar with this tradition, which is probably a poor job of uh, half of me. My Mexican half. Pretty poor job there. Uh, but appreciate that. Week, Stroud, Listen, this guy. Los Texans. Los Texans. Los I love that guy. That guy's in the playoffs, awesome. yeah. In the playoffs, in the playoffs. Uh, he also says, I want to take a second to say, go Texans. 713-780-ESPN. Uh, 0697 says, whoever has the baby in their cake has to bring the tamales for the family. I heard something like that. Like, whoever has the, gets the baby has to put has to host the party the next year, too. It's probably something like that. Yeah. Because, I mean, tamales are a lot of work. So I wonder if C.J. Stroud knows that he has to pick up the dime to give everybody in Houston free tamales. I hope so, and I hope he gets just like from the Valencia's rookie hazing dinner garage. from the from the veterans. He just got he just he deserves yeah he needs to he needs to pay up the city with a bunch of tamales. Every time you see those bills on the internet, they are extraordinary. Four one eight seven. The next few days uh, are not going to be good for me. Recycle radio. Uh, I don't really know what that means. I don't, I, I don't either, think but... we'll be recycling a whole lot of radio, but appreciate the uh, the concern. Ocho Ocho brings up a point here that just. It, it kills the, the, that information that we saw on the internet, that D'Amico Ryan's first-year head coach, C.J. Stroud, rookie quarterback, the first duo to make the playoffs. Chuck Pagano and Andrew Luck did it in 2012. Oh, there you go. So that was misinformation. We've been lied to. Don't believe everything but we, we didn't read bite. on the internet. We said we have to check it. Yeah, we, I didn't check it until now, and I checked it during the break, and Ocho was right. Thank you, Ocho. Yep, thanks, uh, 3167, it's not just the miles. It's, uh, it's depending on how many babies you pull. It depends on what mills you make. Hmm. Yeah, I was not familiar with this. I, I'm, I need to be a little bit more It's a little familiar. bit more elaborate than I thought. It's super elaborate, but I like it. Uh, 713-780-ESPN. Let's go out to the HRMP listener line. Uh, is Lawrence ready, Brian? And we'll get to Lawrence in a second. How far the Houston Texans have come in 12 months is something that I want to talk about. Because you look back at what's went on in this organization. You talk about the firing of the head coaches. You talk about the ownership. We were, we were, we were, we were asking each other you know, a year ago at minimum that, you know, is Cal McNair the worst owner in the NFL? Mm-hmm. Nick Casario should be on the hot seat. Blah, 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 blah. Now you've went from all of that negative stuff to now like, oh, cool cat Cal McNair. Oh, Nick Casario, executive of the year. Uh, D'Amico Ryans could win coach of the year. Maybe you have the offensive rookie of the year and the defensive rookie of the year. The turnaround, I remember Brendan, I thought about Brendan Riley today, because Brendan would always sit there and tell us, like, rebuilds should not take this long in the NFL. Well, you know, stop talking. Uh, stop talking, Brendan Riley. Just sit there behind the glass. Let the, let the big boys do some big boy radio. Okay. Steve. But he was right. He was right. Like, rebuilds do not take that long if you hit. And that's the important thing. You have to hit. But the Texans hit on their two most critical positions, and you might even say third, with D'Amico, they hit on Stroud, gave up a lot, 
but they hit on Will Anderson. They did. And when you look at it, too, obviously Brennan's speaking from a position of weakness because the Lions found every way to do everything wrong along the way, and that was like the, the built-in tape delay for why it took so long for Detroit to kind of reap the, the benefits of what they're going through this year. But when you look at it from a Texans perspective, look, I'll be the first to admit it. I thought they were going to win four games. I just didn't think the roster was there yet. You look at it now and you go, the fact that you got the right guys is so important. It doesn't matter how you go about it and, and the way that, you, that that it fell into place. You got the right guys. You got the right quarterback. You got the right coach. I questioned the the the, the trade on draft day like you did. I, I looked at it and said, yeah, we, we were both very clear and say, look, we're not going to be able to fully judge this for a couple of years. But right off the bat, part of the reason why I was so critical of the trade was because I was expecting the Texans to have a top five pick. When you look at what they were able to do this year, when you look at what the roster construction was and now where it is at this point with what Casario's done in season, with the way they've been able to kind of adjust on the fly when injuries happen, and the fact that you're sitting at a team that's looking at their first playoff game going, my goodness, what an accomplishment. That's why I feel like D'Amico's accomplishment is, to me, head and shoulders above everybody else from a coaching perspective and CJ from a, a rookie of the year offensive play, a rookie offensive player's position because of the fact that they came from the depths of the dead. The, the turnaround was seven games. That just doesn't happen. Yeah, you can have turnarounds happen in a couple of years. The fact that you had it happen the first year these two guys were in their jobs with the Texans is amazing. The the stat, by the way, is uh, first rookie quarterback, first first year head coach to win the division, not make the playoffs because Pagano and Luck finished second. They went eleven and five. Guess who won the division in two thousand twelve? The twelve and four Houston, Houston Texans. Texans. So the first quarterback. First rookie quarterback, first first year head coach uh, that win the division in NFL history. So I knew the accolade was there. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Let's go out to the HRMP listener line. Lawrence, you're in the hive with the bees. What's up? What's going on? Go, oh, man. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about the fancy. You know that division is so much more difficult. You got the Steelers, you got the Bengals, and of course you got two games against the Ravens. The Texans get two games against Tennessee. Obviously, Jacksonville fell apart. And then, you know, Indianapolis is kind of middle to best at good. And Stefanski had a better record in a more difficult division without Chubb and without Deshaun Watson. All right. Okay, Lawrence, that's fine. But but at the same time, I just talked about the seven-game turnaround, about the fact that you basically started the season with a Super Bowl-caliber roster and it was your mistake, not ours, that, that you decided to trade for Deshaun Watson and then give him the, the massive extension. But there's, I'm not taking anything away from Stefanski. He's done a hell of a job. And the fact that they found the fountain of youth for Joe Flacco and they, were, they, they adjusted on the fly to get where they were, were needing to go. But to take a team that was as bad as Houston last year, which Cleveland wasn't, to turn it around the way they did. And this is his, like Jeremy would just say, the first-year quarterback, the first-year head coach. He's been in the league a long time. He's been in Cleveland for several years. You're not talking about apples to apples there. That's why, granted, Stefanski could very well win it, but to me, what D'Amico's done is more more amazing to me and more worthy of it. Uh, Stefanski would have my vote. Uh, Stefanski, appreciate the call, Lawrence. Stefanski would have my vote. Um, and we'll, we'll dive into this in great detail a little bit later. Like, how much of it it should be based on previous year's teams? How much of it should be based on what you've went through in this single season? I think it's vague. I think there's different ways to look at it. They pulled Joe Flacco off the couch. Sure. Like, who has the better quarterback? I think D'Amico has the better quarterback. Yep. Um, the Browns lost their best offensive player, uh, Nick Chubb, not Deshaun Watson. Now, they they had a great defense, all of that. But and they he's still got, have Amari Cooper and, he's got and Joe Joku Flacco. And... Yeah, he's got Joe Flacco throwing for over 300 yards. Like, eh, that's worthy of coach of the year. To see. He, would, he would have my vote. That's not to take away from D'Amico. D'Amico would be second on my list. Uh, 713-780-ESPN. Let's go out to Dave on the HRP listener line. Dave, you're in the hive of the bees. What's up, Dave? Hey, you guys, I was listening to you talk about who, who deserves the credit for this amazing turnaround. And obviously, um, you know, Nick deserves a lot. But what about Hannah? You know, you hear these rumors that Hannah had a lot to do with getting rid of Easterby, that Hannah had a lot to do with hiring D'Amico, that Hannah even had a lot to do with the selection of drought. Is that all rumor, or do you guys hear anything like that? Because I say give her the award. I appreciate the call, Dave. Look, I, I think, think all of our callers are in tornadoes. It sounds like because the weather is bad. But I, I think when you look at this, there's not, there's no 
it's, there's nothing wrong with getting a group answer here. It, it's different than saying who's the executive of the year. But if you want to give the credit, it's not Brady versus Belichick. It's like not want, you know, one guy's ego not allowing the other guy to get equal credit. This is where Hannah gets some piece of the pie. Nick gets a piece of the pie. D'Amico gets a piece of the pie. CJ and the team get a piece of the pie. But the fact is, you should not hold back in terms of how many people you want to give credit to because it literally is amazing, the turnaround and the speed with, it, with which they were able to turn it around. And Hannah gets some of that because she straightened out the ship with Cal. She kept him out of his own way. If she did some of the things that I also had heard that she was getting involved with internally with the organization, and it's not the football personnel stuff. It's more just the imaging of Cal and the overall imaging of the franchise and the way they handled their day-to-day differently, it all helped because this went from a bleep show that everybody looked at as the laughing stock of the NFL to a playoff team that a lot of people look at now as a team that is doing it the right way. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how much involvement Hannah had. I don't know who was the decision maker of getting rid of Easterby. Uh, I don't know who pulled the biggest, you know, had the biggest swing in terms of hiring D'Amico. Uh, I, I tend to believe that they stayed out of drafting. Ooh, I don't. I, do I don't believe in the McNair's drafted C.J. Stroud at number two. Uh, listen, if you go and listen to the Bobby Slowick whenever he was on the uh, the Adam Schefter podcast, like Bobby Slowick was talking about, like how intricate the like the process was with Stroud coming in and how much he blew away the coaching staff and you know blew away the front office and the entire organization. I personally don't believe ownership made the pick at number two. I don't know if Cal is making decisions if. Hannah's making decisions. I think we kind of lean to Hannah because when Cal talks, he don't sound too smart. So I think that that's why everybody kind of gravitates to it. This is Hannah. Now, how they've rebranded Cal has been unbelievable. Like, he's leaned into this whole, like, goofy character with a handlebar mustache that watches a 40-inch television from 100 feet away at 3.30 in the morning. But they've done well in the, the, the marketing of it. Uh, 713-780-3776. Speaking of the, the marketing of it, let's go back out to the HRMP listener line. Brett, you're in the hive of the bees. What's up, Brett? Hey, guys. I uh, I don't know if it's because the Texans were playing on ESPN for the very first time this season, but whenever they scored a touchdown, I noticed on the graphic they would say touchdown on the bottom of the screen, and it was a particular color blue that was not navy. And it leads me to think they might have been using H-Town blue. Uh, like on the Devin Singletary run, he scored, and then it said touchdown. It would show the graphic, and then his name would be in a, a little bit lighter shade blue. I was wondering if you guys noticed that. I did not pay that much attention to the graphics, but look, we, we've made no secret about the fact that, you know, for the people that we've heard from, and Jeremy maybe knows more sources on this than me, but I've talked to a few people, that that, that kind of color is probably going to be involved in some way next year. Uh, if ESPN wanted to kind of use that as a way to kind of tease you into next year, so be it, but I didn't pay that much attention to it. I, I noticed it. I think this is the way that ESPN does their their graphics. Like they kind of put the outline a little bit, like in different color. Color. In fact, I just pulled up uh, while you were talking there an old ESPN graphic of when the Texans played on ESPN in 2019, and you can still see that H Town blue. So I don't think it was a hint uh, to any sort of new logo or new color scheme. Now they are going to add that H Town blue. Drew Doherty in his mailbag the other day, who works with the Texans, uh, gave a lot of clues the other day. So they're going to have four uniforms. He said that they're not going to really change their color scheme, or they're not going to change their logo. Which is like, oh, they're going to keep Toro and not bring in the H, which I, which I had heard, which kind of tells me that maybe they didn't get great reviews right. on the H. So that's cool. Like, I'm fine with Toro. Uh, but he did say they're having four new uniforms next year and they're going to reveal it just before draft day. I, I don't think that it was a clue on the ESPN graphic, but I did notice it. It was a good catch. But does that mean so the fourth color would be the light blue? He didn't flat out say it, but, but they indicated. talked about a fourth. Okay like accent mm-hmm. color, yep. which they've all but said it's going to be that. And I think they're going to call it H-Town Blue. Uh, 713-780-ESPN. I like guys that care. It means a lot to me whenever – like, I'm a native Houstonian. It means a lot to me when people who represent Houston care. And we saw a lot of that on display on Saturday. 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Look, it's also basketball season, right? Rockets uh, with a big win over the weekend. Houston Cougars, number two in the nation, the only undefeated team left in all of college basketball. It's basketball season. Uh, you might be looking for a basketball goal. Your kids might be looking for a basketball goal. They might play middle school ball. They might play AAU, maybe high school ball. And you want to get 
give them a goal, maybe for their birthday coming up. A uh, product makes the highest quality basketball goals you'll find. Tempered glass break, uh, backboard, breakaway rim, stainless steel hardware, and it's also height adjustable, 5 feet to 10 feet. Also, on that front, they've now come out with a lightning adjust. They have lightning adjust on their basketball called uh, basketball goal called Thor. Lightning adjust and Thor, the first and only hoop available with drill-powered height adjustment. Five feet to ten feet, anywhere in between, in under ten seconds. And all you have to do is squeeze that trigger of that drill. It's patent pending, but lightning adjust is fantastic. Give your kids Thor so they can play hoops throughout the year. Uh, you can order everything online, too. Too, including professional installation. Maybe you're not great. Maybe you're not a good handyman. Maybe your wife gives you grief for that. Well, just order the professional installation online. Yes, the pros at ProDunk professionally install your goal at the perfect height, perfectly straight. You don't install. Let the pros at ProDunk do all of the work for you. Give them a call now, 281-351-9822, and visit ProDunk.com. That's ProDunk.com. ESPN 975.com Tiger Friendly Radio. He would take a picture of Carol and take her head and put it on the body of a man in a diaper. Welcome back, Houston. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. He's Blank. I'm Branham. Brian McDonald in for the uh, vacationing Joe George. Not here today. Uh, Houston Texans coming off a massive win, reaching the playoffs for the first time since 2019. And Joe's nowhere to be found. Oh, he's plenty where to be found. Well, Blankers, thanks for selling the bit there. Uh, 713-780-ESPN, HRMP listener line. I I like guys that care. I I like guys that it means something to them. Some of my favorite players are are guys that I can tell care, that that have passion, that play hard. And I don't think that every professional does. Uh, We like to believe that, but I think there's pros that mail it in. I think there's pros that just kind of get by on their talent. Jadavian Clowney's the guy I point to. I think Jadavian Clowney's one of the most talented defensive ends we've seen in, in football in the last 15 years but didn't have the work ethic to pair with the talent that would have made him elite. Like, you give Clowney J.J. Watt's work ethic, Jadavian Clowney's the best football player of our generation. Uh, he had the, 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 I don't know if you saw it, the little roster bonus sack the yeah, other day. Seven, where he, 750? Yeah. He was 750. Yeah. Yep. I've never seen Jadavian Clowney happier on the football field than when he collected that $750,000, which, I mean, I get. I'd celebrate if I made $750,000 as well. But he just never had that passion. Mm-mm. D'Amico Ryan's after the game the other day, like tearing up. Like yeah. that's a guy I want representing the city of Houston. C.J. Stroud, as soon as like the clock hit, it wasn't even the clock hitting zeros. It was whenever they got the fourth and yep. one stop or drop, and he has a little fist pump and he's like tearing up with Lisa Salters after the game. Like I don't need you to cry, but if you have that passion, if you have that want to, that desire, that care, and you're representing the Houston, like the city of Houston, which means a lot to me. Like I'm loyal to the city. Like I've lived here my entire life. The city means a lot to me. Uh, it means a great deal to me. I want my professional athletes in the city for it to matter to them. And we saw that with D'Amico. And we saw that with Stroud. Now, look, Jeremy, I've worked with a lot of those guys. And nothing sucks the air out of your sails more than finding out that someone on your team doesn't really care and have the passion for the game, the love of the game, and the, the desire to play the game at a certain, you know, with a certain kind of ferocity that you would do, you would play if you were had the, the skill set. And Kelvin Cato's the story that I've always told before about a guy that just said, hey, this is the easiest way for me to make the most amount of money for me and my family, but I don't really love the game. And, and we were going to play a do-or-die win game with a chance to make the playoffs. And walking to the plane, I remember how it def- deflated me. I was like, wait, what? This is awesome. And there are guys like that. So you want the guys to care and not just pick up the check. And we have seen enough of them so that we know that sometimes that's disappointing. You don't have to worry about disappointment with your head coach. You don't have to worry about your quarterback. Lisa was watching the, the, the game and the end of the game and the post game with me, and she was like, you know what? I really like C.J. Stroud now because how humble he is, how passionate he was, and how he knew how much it meant to not just him. It was his teammates, the coach staff, but more so the city of Houston. So I, I thought that it was massive in terms of having guys, again, that we talk about at the forefront of this rebuild, be guys that probably care more than anybody else in that locker room. 3451 says, cheap shot on Cal. He was in his hotel room watching highlights. 
No, man. As soon as that game was over, they showered, they got dressed, they boarded the team charter, and they flew home to Houston. And once they landed in Houston, they got on the team bus and went to the team facility. Cal was probably already parked at the FBO and went straight home. The pick, the highlight or the video that you saw of Cal McNair that was tweeted out by the social media account was. was not Cal in a hotel room. That was Cal returning to Houston in the wee hours of Sunday morning, watching the game in his little man cave, or whatever we're calling that, wherever he had that little stuffed unicorn that was purple and pink as he sat 100 feet away on his 40-inch TV. So he wasn't in his hotel room. They flew back. Uh, 713-780-ESPN. Here was was D'Amico Ryans. He was asked a question after the game about that moment that we saw in the locker room or near the locker room, kind of you know letting it all soak in. Here was D'Amico afterwards talking about that moment. During that moment, I was just thankful, really thankful for this, uh, to be in this position, right? D'Amico got cut off there a little bit. Yeah, D'Amico. Anyway, he talked about how that moment was fantastic. It was great. Uh, It was really, really cool. But he cares, Mm -hmm. and I like that. I like that. If you're representing the city of Houston, just, like, that's all the fans want. Like, just show that you care. And if you have a team that you're proud of and, like, they care and they play hard, you can accept the feat much easier. Like you're almost you're proud of them, right? Like you're proud of how Plus, they they put your they represented your city. They put the city on their chest and they played for you. You can see it with D'Amico. You can see it with Steve. And you're not questioning them either, right? If you're if it's the alter, alternative, then you're looking at it going, did they really were they really putting everything into it? Did they really you know could they have done that play better? Could they have done this play better? There's no doubt, win, lose, or draw at the end of a ball game that you're going to question how much that D'Amico and CJ put into it. You're not going to question if they were prepared and, and, and they did everything that they possibly could. And, and, and the, the image that really was that, that image was when, like you said, when he's in that hallway and he just kind of props himself up against that wall and takes it all in for a second, takes that deep breath, and you can tell how deep in thought he was, regardless of what he wanted to reveal at the press conference or not, you're like, this dude was stressed out when he took this job. And I know so because I know people that know him well that said – he obviously loved the opportunity, but he had to trust people and he had to build a staff and he had to do the things so that there weren't any distractions to have it all come together like this and know that all that stress and all that hard work paid off. That was an awesome moment for anybody that loves the Houston Texans. You're not saying that was unique, though, right? But no, but because of the situation he's coming into, there's a lot of times in organizations where you can go from coach to coach, but you know that the general manager's in place or you know that there are people in the front office that are good football minds that you can trust. I mean, he took the job. Well, right, but this was the job that he obviously, from the standpoint of he had other jobs that he could have. Exactly. Right, but he took the job because he's played here, he loves the city, but he also knew coming in, taking the job, part of the negotiation was, I got to have the right to control things I need to control in terms of who I, who I, who's on my staff, who, who works with me. Casario was a big one. Getting over Easterby was another one. I know that because of the fact that Jack's, Jack's kind of way of doing things, Jack had his people even on the business side, there was a lot of I mean, questions. He was, long trust. Gone. he was long gone, though. But not all those people were. I mean, D'Amico took the job, though. Like I, I understand, understand what like, took the job. I think that there's stress of every job that you take, so it's kind of like I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly what you're saying. But I imagine if he's taking the Texans' job, there he, he feels – that it's the best job for him and there's going to be lower stress with the job that he's accepting over all of the other options. This was even before he accepted the job, when they were still talking about it, that he wanted the job, but before he took the job, he had to do a deep dive into everybody in that organization. You think he'd be doing that for all of them, right? Well, you should, but I'm yeah. just saying this one maybe more than others because of the reputation of the people that were very, very recently there and involved in a lot of things. Yeah, I, w- I mean, maybe I'm being naive here, but I-, I would just think that he would take a deep dive on any huge decision. Like, taking a job, your first head coaching job, is a huge decision. I, I would imagine that he's you know turning over every stone whenever he's looking at all of these jobs. And he, like, he turned down the face-to-face with Denver. So, like, it shows you that he kind of really wanted this job. Like, he really wanted it, not, even though Aaron Wilson said he didn't. Uh, 713-780-ESPN, HRMP listener line. We'll get to some textures. Richard Vera on the other side as well. Also, some unsung heroes from Saturday's game. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Hey, before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend, Doc Linville. New year, new you, new hair if you want to. And that's because Doc Linville has a special going on right now. He's got the follicle count uh, price down to $3.50. It's a massive savings for you. It's because he doesn't want to make a boatload of money on this procedure. He's told me face-to-face, I just want people in Houston to realize the procedure works and it can be a game-changer 
for those that choose to do it. So that's why he's doing this to start the new year, to get more people than ever interested in trying to get their hair back. The Neograph procedure, which he does better than anybody, in my opinion, it's a game changer because it's not the sprays and the creams and the foams that just mask the problem. It is getting your own hair back from places where genetically you're never going to lose it, like the sides and the back. And I sat down with Doc. I did the consultation with him. He explained the procedure and everything about it to me. And the one that really got me was 95 to 99% of those follicles that he's going to move. They're going to stay. They're going to grow. They're going to be with you for the long haul. And that was a difference maker for me. It was a game changer when I had the procedure done and I've seen the results. You can do the exact same thing. And because you listen to ESPN 97.5, you can start the process with that same consultation like I got for the same price I paid for it, which was absolutely nothing. It's normally 150 bucks for anybody off the street. You as a listener to us, get that deal for you too. Just go to 975hair.com. Go there and book your first appointment. Get the questions answered and figure out if it's right for you too. It was right for me and I couldn't be happier. They're the best in the business. If you want to get your hair back, go to 975hair.com. ESPN 97.5 on YouTube. Dracula Flow. I took two limitless pills to limit myself. Welcome back, Houston. These guys missed you over the last break. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Get into some unsung heroes in a moment. Uh, He's Blank. I'm Branham. Brian McDonald in for uh, the vacationing Joe George. 3-4-5-1-78 doesn't love football. How bad was his first half? I I'm not, I don't believe, believe that. I, I think that Tunsil likes football. Uh, he was he was ha- super happy running back to the locker room. Saw a video of it. I, I don't buy into the 78 doesn't love football conversation. I see that a lot. I think that's just his demeanor. Like, he's very chill. Like he's very calm. Sometimes too much. Like, sometimes too much. And then the false starts are things that he gets criticized for a lot. Uh, had two of them in the first half that were timely. One was on a third down and five. Yep. That turned into a third and ten. Didn't convert. Settled for a punt. And then the second one was just ahead of the fourth and one, which D'Amico is about to go for. Again, D'Amico Ryan's kind of managing on vibes. It was weird how he decided to punt on the first decision and then was going to go for on the second decision. Didn't really add up, which D'Amico doesn't really add up. Like, D'Amico's not the I'm always going to hit on 16 at Blackjack. It's going to be based on his vibes. Um, it actually kind of helped the Texans, though, that there was if because if they don't make it, if it's fourth and one, they don't make it. Colts get good field position. You know, who knows how it plays out from there. Now, you had the false start on 78. You had to punt. They pinned them deep. They go three and out. Texans score offensively. Is that the one they got on the one? No, it wasn't. It was actually a little bit. Um, like it might have been nine. I don't. I don't remember exactly. Because remember, they had the, the. They got it. They pinned them at the one. Right. And then they had a first and ten, and there was an immediately the offside. Yep. Uh, so I don't remember. It could have been that one. I, I, I kind of run together, but it might have been. Might not have been. But mm-hmm. anyways, they forced. You know, they had the the false start on seventy eight. So now you couldn't go for it, but you pin them deep. Three and out, you take over with good field position, and then you go score. So it really wasn't costly. It no, wasn't costly. But at the same time, do you think that a guy, no matter how much you want to question how much he loves the game of football, this is a, a do-or-die situation. He's considered one of the top left tackles in the game. He's in a loud environment where a lot of times they're doing nonverbals because of the fact that it's gotten so loud. The momentum was starting to switch a little bit. Do you think he wanted to jump? And jumped multiple times. No, I don't think he wanted to jump. Yeah, I mean, I'm just talking. I'm talking to the people that are, you know, possibly questioning him, the, the that are listening. I, I just think that that's one of those deals where he's an easy target sometimes to go after. But in this case, I mean, look, he didn't. He wasn't doing it purposely, and, and there's no one that's going to question his effort throughout the game. No, I, yeah, I, I think that he likes football. I think his just his character is very chill. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Out to the HRMP listener line, Richard. You're in the hive of the bees. What's up, Richard? Uh, hello. Uh, I was wondering if the Texans were to somehow win their home game, do you think there's any other road teams that might win the AFC to potentially give us the chance to have another home game? And if so, who would you like it to be? And please unblock Dick Willie. I love the show. <laughs> there you go. I wonder who that was, Richard. Yeah. I wonder who that was. Uh, the Texans are the four seed. Uh, so if they win, they move on. It has to be the AFC title game. It would have to be the AFC title game because they don't. They, they automatically reseed. would go to either Baltimore. They, they would go on the road. They reseed in the division round. So yeah, they would go on the road because even if they win, Dolphins a six seed win, Pittsburgh a seven seed win. No, they could host. They could host in that situation. 
if if Miami beats at Kansas yeah, City, sorry, Pittsburgh wins at old, Buffalo. I'm thinking of the old yeah. format. Yeah, you're right. Now you're with right. the seven teams, like there's two worst seeds that could win where you could host. So it's possible you could host. It would be Miami in that situation. You would have to win. Miami would have to beat Kansas City. Pittsburgh would have to beat Buffalo. Highly unlikely. And that's the only way you can host a division round game. Now to, to Brian's point, you can host a conference championship game as long as it's not you know Buffalo, Baltimore, Kansas City. Is it solely record or like in, in, sometimes seating. in sports seating. they do like if you are a division winner, it, it trumps. Seating. Records. Seating. It's all seating. So, which I mean, seating does trump. I mean, the division title does trump record because okay. they that would be the four seed. Top wild card is the five seed, but it's all seating once you get to the playoffs. So, the, even if like Cleveland has a better record than the Texans, correct? They yeah, they're one game wins. better. The uh, Texans have ten, and the Texans are hosting. So it's all about the seating. Um, so yes, they potentially could. It kind of falls apart with Pittsburgh having to win at Buffalo, at least for the, yeah. the divisional round. I mean, Allen can give you a game. Allen tried to give the Dolphins this past he, he game. Did, he tried did. to with, give with, the Patriots a game in Week 17. Without Deontay Hardy, I don't know if the I don't know how that game goes last night. Yeah, seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. So yes, it's it's possible Texans could host all three games at NRG on their way to the Super Bowl. It's just very highly unlikely. There is a college football national championship at NRG. Uh, that'll be fun. We'll carry it on our air a little bit later. Let's go out to the HRP listener line again. Vera, you're in the hive of the bees. What's up? Hey guys, I appreciate you letting me call in. A um, couple of points, and I think you, you did talk about how Nico Ryans took that big leap of faith uh, when he came out to, you know, decided to agree to be the head coach for the Houston Texans. I would say a part of that same leap of faith also is on uh, on the Nick, on Nick Casario. I mean, I you know, people always tend to gravitate towards coaches that they're, they're familiar with, the systems that they are familiar with. Um, of course, with two failed coaching hires, in both uh, Kali and, and Lavi Smith, there wasn't there wasn't too much, and there was sufficient pressure. But I would say it seems like they had a good combo um, because he, you know, Kaseri has now taken the back seat and is happy to do the um, you know the analytical part, evaluate players, and then you know Dimiko gets the best out of them. The other uh, point I did want to make, and this is not directly related to the Texans, but from the game, is that young uh, kid uh, Tyler Goodson from the Colts. Um, he's a fine young man. I mean, you know, he, he did not shirk when, when media came and asked him about the drop catch. He accepted, and I think, I, I wish that kid well. I mean, just not against us. Uh, but I think, I think, uh, you know, I, I did feel, I did feel for that kid. Um, just wanted to kind of get that over to you guys. Uh, Thanks, guys. I appreciate you letting me. Thanks yep. for the call, Vera. Look, I mean, you have to, look, you're a Texans fan. First and foremost, you're happy the way the play turned out. It sucks to be that kid that wasn't on a roster early on. He made the team. He he only had like 43 snaps, and then suddenly he was thrust into a position where he could make a big play, and it didn't happen, and that sucks. But, you know, you're never going to say you want to do over. I mean, yeah, you hope you wish the best for him. I know in situations like that in the past, and he's he made it very clear he wants to be back. That's one of those deals with the veterans in the locker room and the way that personnel decisions are made. Sometimes the, the, the front office believes that it's best for both parties so that doesn't linger longer that you move on. You hope he gets another shot, whether it be there or somewhere else. I couldn't care less. I, I, that's I'll, I'll be the jerk. I, I've never heard of Tyler Goodson. If I never hear from him again, I, I would not care. Um, this is what happens whenever you employ offensive football players that went to Iowa. Like, how do you have a football player on your team that went to Iowa? Offensively, unless they're a tight end. Often, unless they're a tight end. Great point. You do not have players, offensive players, unless they're tight end, that come from Iowa. Whenever you do bad things happen. Who is Lance's friend? What's the GM? I'm blanking on his Chris name. Ballard. Chris Ballard. This is on Chris Ballard. We just talked about players or you know people to blame for that fourth and one drop, bad throw. The first one is Gardner Minshew. The second one isn't Tyler Goodson. He's third. The second one is with Chris Ballard, Chris Ballard. for having an offensive Can- player that's not a tight end that came from Iowa. Who in their right mind employs an Iowa, not tight end, offensive football player? That's you, on Ballard. Don't you want to include offensive linemen, too, on the offensive yeah, side of Iowa? Yeah, let's count them, too. Skill position Linderbaum guys and those that are guys, not tight ends. Yeah. Skill position guys that are yeah. not tight They can block. They can, they can block with the best of them. They just don't score points. And where do you get points from? Skill position guys, not named tight end. So that's on that's on uh, that's on him. That's on the GM. That's on Minshew. That's not on Tyler Goodson. But if I never hear from Tyler Goodson again, I'm not going to care. Look, I, I think based on the conversation last segment too on the on Vera's first point, you knew that there was going to be a feeling out process. You knew whether it was prior to or right after the hire was made 
there was going to be some serious discussions internally about who was going to have the loudest voice in the room and and what was the power, the, the hierarchy going to be like going forward. To both guys' credit, they found a way to find balance almost immediately, and, and they, they've worked in, in lockstep the entire season. They're quick to give each other credit. It's not like O'Brien and Rick Smith where it seemed like it was competitive to a fault and, and a power struggle. And both guys deserve a lot of credit for just that aspect of it and then turning that into how it relates to day-to-day football operations and personnel decisions because they've hit a whole lot more than they've missed and they've seemed to work in unison the entire season. I saw the love affair very early. And people are like, oh, you're you're seeing things. You're crazy. You're delusional. No, they work well together. They work well together. And credit to Casario because, like, Vera's right. Like, these aren't two schemes that are natural fits. Uh, and I think Casario's done a good job of kind of understanding who fits D'Amico's scheme, style, system. And it's been a good marriage so far. Give me one unsung player from uh, from Saturday's game. Well, I mean, right off the top, I would say back just because of the fact mm, that you didn't know call. if he was going to play. He got a touchdown. You know, he was, he was doing his job. He got a penalty too early uh, on a holding call. But overall, there was a guy that was dinged up, but we saw throughout the season little glimpses of a guy that in the offense, but more so even on special teams, dude was you know putting it all out there. And to have him come up with a big touchdown in the biggest game of the year, I- I'll start there. Yeah, I-, I like that call, although it's hard to give him too much credit for that touchdown. Like Just a play that was perfectly he was, called. Yeah, he yeah. was just I mean, kind of the guy there. Uncovered by 10 yards. Like If he drops that, it's one of the worst drops in NFL history. So like credit that he caught it, credit that he was there, credit he was a warm body that was on the receiving end. Uh, but it wasn't like a difficult play. But a good call because, I mean, he was very active in the running game, things like that. For me, I'm going with the Aussie. Give me Cam Johnston. How good was Cam Johnston on Saturday? He's sitting 62-yard lo- uh, bombs, and it looked to me, it was hard for me to tell, was he talking trash? Was he talking a little he smack to the He definitely got excited guy? a few points, I think yeah. he was talking a little smack. He pinned him oh, inside yeah. the one. He had four inside the 20. He takes the intentional safety, although he should have ran to the big side of the field. That way he took the extra took second. The second off, But yeah. then he kicks the final free kick on the safety. Great decision, D'Amico Ryans. Cam Johnson was outstanding on Saturday night. No, no doubt about it. I mean, look. The fact that he has that little extra in him that he wants to talk smack because they were talking smack. There was a lot of you see at this time of the year. I mean, in almost every game you watch, there's a lot of extra going on after the whistle. The fact that you don't expect it out of your punter. But the bottom line was he did his job. I mean, pinning him multiple times the way he did. The dudes had a massive leg. Uh, There were questions when the Texans moved on from the punter that's now with the Cowboys. Uh, Anger. Anger. Who's had had a good year, too. But he's been everything and more you could have asked for from the punting position. He stepped up big in a big game. Yeah, big, big, big game from Cam Johnston, the punter. Who are your unsung heroes? 713-780-3776. Also, when we come back, game balls. We have to get game balls to those around the league who had big performances over the weekend. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5, home of the Norwegian Blue. This parrot is no more. Yes. Cease to be.